And welcome back, everybody, to the freaking awesome podcast. And this is episode 57. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> let's, let's kill that bass head. Let's do this. I'm on the air, we on the air, we got this pockets flow. It's me and Tony on the mics, we gotta let you know. Of current events, little gaming, sprinkling some entertainment. We stay humble, but our mom still thinks we're famous. Turn up the bass and baby, maybe let that magic flow. Our spoken word is all the things you really wanna know. Having a good time on the show, T-Bows and Maddie G. Tune in and hit subscribe and join us on the FAP. Welcome back, everyone, to the Freaking Awesome Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Bowes, and sitting across from me is a man whose idea of fine Italian cuisine is craft dinner. Welcome back, Matey G. Hey, man, I put maple syrup in my craft dinner. Oh, Jesus. Like, you it's destroy delicious. things in every possible way, don't you? <laughs> yes, or, or mac and cheese for yeah. our American friends. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> welcome back. It feels like it's been an eternity since you've been here. I know it's been a, a few uh, episodes, and that seems like like forever I, I, when we're used I to seeing each really other every does. week right <laughs> yeah it's weird it's um you know I, i'm surprised by how fast this summer flew by even in covid time yeah like yeah, yeah. you know it's uh if it, it feels like you know it feels like we had less to do but somehow did more i it's it's a very strange thing <laughs> what you know, we're in right now is like a i feel like i'm part of bill and ted like just <laughs> i'm more you know what's strange so. for me is uh, this being the first day of school, uh, kids going back. Uh, it actually, I sat in the house and I looked around. I'm like, oh my god, this this almost feels like a holiday to me. <laughs> right. So it uh, it was good. I got a ton of work done, and it was it was really amazing. Now to yeah. celebrate your return, we have a phenomenal guest today. Uh, Canadian blues rock band. They have gone gold multiple times and nominated for multiple Juno's Award, both for the best new band and the best rock album. Uh, they've shared the stage with ZZ Top and opened for ACDC, George Thorogood, the Guess Who, and opened for the Rolling Stones. Not once, not twice, but five times. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Veralt from Winemouth Mason. Sean, how are you doing today? Hey, everybody. I'm all right. I was, I was thinking as you were introing it, it was reminding me of, and perhaps this is before your time, there used to be a show called Quantum Leap. Oh, yes. Where Scott Beck... Bacula was this guy who would just appear in people's lives through some like back to the future sort of quantum science thing happening. And he would just all of a sudden be on stage about to give a speech and have no context and no history and just zap into that moment. And that's what every day of COVID life has kind of felt like is that you're either coming back from vacation or that you're just zooming in from some other universe and now you have to live this life for a day and figure it out as you go. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I used to love that show. It was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> was Al good. and the computer Ziggy and yeah, it was it was great yes. trying to correct moments in time. Yeah. It was uh And it, he'd always go, Oh boy. Yeah. And he'd be like, Oh no, he's Hitler and he's about to give us a what happened? Exactly. What are you gonna do? <laughs> my I think my favorite episode is where he, he bounced into a woman's body the first time and he's yeah. like he's like, Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I remember. Oh man, that was so so funny. <laughs> Excellent. Well, before we get going, uh with Sean, uh Maddie G, how about we jump into the news? 
Yeah, let's kick it off, man. Um, Okay, first article. Uh, Airline pilots report guy in a jetpack flying past them at LAX. Um, (laughs) What? Yeah, true story, true story. Um, This was fairly recent, too. Um, So have you seen Iron Man or the Rocketeer uh, cruising around LAX lately? If so, Los Angeles Police Department and the Federal Aviation Administration would probably like to speak with you. Police FAA uh, officials and airport staff are still scratching their heads after two flight crews reportedly seeing a person in a jetpack near the Los Angeles International Airport on Sunday, where he was allegedly cruising past planes at over 3,000 feet in the air. Wow. Um, aviation expert Steve Caldwell um, for Fox News uh, said that f- such flight is possible, though not for long periods of time, and this fellow was up there for quite a while. So even the most te- uh, even the most advanced technological jetpacks can only fly very briefly, um, which is why they're so curious about this particular event. Uh, no suspects have been identified, and no one had come forward to claim responsibility for the stunt as a part. Oh, so this was Tuesday afternoon. Okay. Um, however, people were quick to recommend fictional suspects, and Tony Stark was unavailable for comment. <laughs> <laughs> Does so, anybody have an alibi for where Elon Musk was? Right, was right. Happening? He seems like the kind of guy who would yeah. have the gear. And yeah, use it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know what? It's like with that amount of technology, I'm actually amazed. You're right. I know there's a lot of people out there who have been trying this, obviously, forever and a day. In fact, I think they've been trying this since World War II, uh, creating a jetpack for soldiers. And um, honestly, to to even hear that this person was spotted at 3,000 feet. Now, that's not a normal, no, uh, you know, ability for anybody even to achieve that height, uh, let alone for the amount of time it would take to achieve 3,000 feet and land safety. Well, and that's right? that's what well, I, so I had to do some more research because I'm like, what the, all right? And, and yeah. I'm very curious. And and that's the thing that's got them scratching their heads and why, like, you know, the, the, the federality are getting involved is because, Technically, this technology doesn't exist on public record, at least not to, to, to do this. And your standard test flight with a jetpack system is like anywhere from one to 300 feet. Yeah. Um, and mostly over water. Yeah. So this was, you know, multitudes higher over land. Yeah. You know, this is just not your typical test flight scenario. Yeah. So very, very intriguing. Very intriguing. I, I thought you'd like this one. I totally so. do. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I'm worried, like, I know there's been a few instances when people have drones that they're flying near airports, and they, they warn that, look, you could really scramble and mess up planes coming in for a landing, that people driving cars are oblivious and distracted and enough that as much as I want to soar, um, like, Elon Musk with a with a, a futuristic jetpack on me, I'm I'm not ready for the skies to be full of distracted drivers in the same way that the roads are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, just just imagine like the the a very rare time where uh, an airplane takes in a bird into an engine and and the damage that causes and the amount of risk that just imagine a human being getting sucked in through the engine. <laughs> oh my God, you go straight there. I love it. Right. <laughs> not to mention with with like obviously some form of technology or, or rocket fuel on their back. So like the, the amount of destruction oh, yeah. that that would happen when it hits a turbine. <laughs> so oh, uh, yeah, that, that, and then you've got like, you know, thousands of people who suddenly 
work together the bills to 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 buy one of these things. I don't know. I think I think it's just you know we're gonna have you to have I've some weird lanes. To try, though. <laughs> I I really think the have you seen those rocket ones like for for water? They're like yes. they're like two mm-hmm. water jets. Yeah, that I would try. That, that looks, looks pretty fun cool. as hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you need to be that far over the ground to experience the wonder of flight. Like the the Orville and Wilbur were only I think ten feet above the ground when they were they were doing the flights yeah. at Kitty Hawk, and that water one seems like yeah you're you're enough over the ground that you're flying and you have a bird's eye view, but it should power and water cut out to that thing. You'll just kind of hit the water as if you were water skiing or something, versus falling <laughs> from the sky. I watched a a thing this morning of David Blaine with a whole bunch of inflatable balloons. Doing like the kid from Up. Did you guys yes. see that yet? Yes. No, yeah. I didn't see it. And he went to something like twenty four thousand feet. So they were ready for him to pass out, and he started, you know, talking a little slurred and a little slower because at at that altitude, everything gets gets kind of thicker and harder to do. So mm-hmm. yet another uh, asterisk for people on jetpacks going up high enough that then they pass out and start falling down on houses and on yeah. roads and stuff this is we're at the precipice of something very very dangerous here fellas yeah yeah it's true um actually i think not even that that long ago i i overheard something about uh the uh a new flying car that is is actually in the works but it it kind of looks um it kind of it, it it's it's very jetson-esque kind of thing so uh, i have to do a little i think more i, I think that. i saw it like yeah. a prototype yeah. in, a, in a news article i was i was yeah. going through it's very like sleek and aerodynamic looking right it's like yeah. white yep yeah. yeah but it's but it's like we we haven't even really perfected the self-driving car and we already want to hit the air <laughs> like yeah come on, people. <laughs> yeah is toronto I traffic that bad to look yeah. like yeah, it, it's just the the way that the 50s and 60s imagined the future is cooler looking than the future has turned out to be. So even if there was a Jetsons <laughs> car that drove on the road, I'd be happy to take one of those. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, I. <laughs> it's true, actually. If anything, um, I think uh, you you occasionally will see uh, old news articles or, or posters or, or books on mechanics where... I think even back in the 40s and 50s, some of the cars were trying to like, we're the car of the future. And it kind of looks all bubbly and, and like a, a Jetson car. And uh, I'd love to know what uh, what the repair rates were like on those things when people did get accidents. So <laughs> yeah. they were right. steel then. So <laughs> Oh, there's a dent in it. Uh, just write it off. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Too much. Throw it away. Yeah. All right. My news article. Uh, homeowner distraught after realtor steals her pairs. So a Vancouver woman is distraught after she says a realtor helped himself to all of the fruit in her yard uh, after showing a home to prospective buyers. Uh, homeowner Jill Chan took to Facebook to accuse the real estate agent Peter Yang of stealing pears and berries from her family home. According to Chan, Yang was showing the property to the clients, and then while no one was home, he started p- picking the fruit from her trees and bushes. Now, they do have a closed-circuit television camera in their backyard, and it basically shows this man robbing the tree completely of every pear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and then eating the berries and spitting the seeds out on her lawn. And uh, the the police officers uh, visited uh, the f- family home and stated that... Uh, you know, the, the family isn't pressing charges yet. Um, however, 
they did contact the real estate board of the Greater Vancouver uh, board chair, and uh, Colette Gerber told the CTV News that she can't comment to the ongoing investigation, but said that members who break the rules are subject to fines up to $30,000. Most expensive fruit ever. Oh. Wow. So. Uh, that sounds like a personal vendetta. I don't know. I think this was the guy who just probably really liked fruit and thought, who's going to who's going to miss these, the, the, this, this fruit now? Uh, you know, she I really like pears. Yeah. The homeowner did say that the garden was like the uh, her late grandmother's pride and joy. Now, coming from a woman who's now selling the house, <laughs> it's like, you know, you, you might get some sympathy on the fact that, yes, someone has stolen your fruit. But don't play like, this was my grandmother's fruit card, because you're, you're getting rid of the house anyway. So unless you plan on picking up the tree and taking it with you, um, which I don't think you are. See, uh, I would have spun it. I would have been like, yeah, we kept getting the house is lovely, but we kept getting complaints about the pear tree. So, you know, I just... <laughs> <laughs> Real estate agents always make you clear out extra clutter and stuff in the house. Maybe he was just thinking, you know, they need to be able to imagine their own pairs on these trees. <laughs> <laughs> Your pairs are impeding their ability to see themselves in this yard. <laughs> Maybe he was like, these pairs are ridiculous. They're all over the lawn and nobody wants to pick those up. So I cleaned them up for you. <laughs> right. So they didn't think there would be a mess they had to deal with yearly. <laughs> That's oh, right. Man. And oh, I spat the seeds out so there will be more pear trees in a couple decades when the new owners live here. Right. <laughs> oh, boy. All <laughs> right, There's a tree on my street. There was a, next to a club, uh, Richards on Richards, we used to play all the time that I, that I now live nearby the old site of um, where there – it was like the movie Up where – there was this little old lady who lived in a house and would not sell and everything around it turned into condos and they kept waving huge checks under her nose. And she was like, look, I grew up, I raised my family. My husband died in this house. I'm going to live in this house forever and I will not sell it. And eventually she, they convinced the family, I think she either passed away or had to go into care, but they were like, listen, you cannot get rid of the tree in front of this house it was it was like this person's pear tree oh, wow. and they they built the sidewalk around the tree that's every the rest of the sidewalk is just normal with no trees in the middle of it and they that was their this is the line that you may not cross you can finally buy our house for millions and millions of dollars to make a condo out of it but you will not cut this tree down you must build the sidewalk around this tree that will live forever on Richard Street. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's, that's really a cool, cool story. But, but there's, there's the, I don't know if it's just the twisted part of me that looks at that and says, they've buried somewhere under that tree and they don't want it unearthed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's a that's secret good. they're not telling us here. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, but that's, that's really like, cool. That's really cool. That's like this, this shirt i've had since high school and it's got holes and shit in it and my wife keeps trying to make me throw it out but i'm like no i'm drawing the line when i can't wear it anymore that's when i'll throw it out maddie are you like the guy who wears underpants until they like dissolve off his body <laughs> yeah it's yeah. got a few holes I'm, but it's still stretchy <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what it is man i just i don't like throwing away clothes eh? oh jeez. um i'm not a hoarder with anything else i just for clothes for some reason so, like every it's shirt has a story in. yeah yeah it's comfy it's broken in it may not have any labels or even a logo on it anymore but it still feels good yeah 
Yeah. Oh, wow. So, All right. What else we got? Right. Okay. Next article from me. Florida woman allegedly beats farting father. So <laughs> okay. po- police in Florida caught wind of a woman who was fed up with her father's flatulence. Nicole Dozoy, um, 40, who lived with her 59-year-old dad in Largo near Tampa Bay, uh, was arrested for allegedly battering him because of his smelly emissions. Uh, police allege Dozoy punched her father in the face numerous times, and officers found him with a um, with a black eye and scratches all over his neck. Uh, Dozoy has been released with with bail and pleaded not guilty to the misdemeanor charge of domestic battery. She's been ordered by a judge to keep away from her father. This isn't Dozoy's first brush with the law. She was arrested in 2018 for allegedly hitting her sister, um, though she wasn't charged, allegedly for the same offense. <laughs> wow, she's definitely got a problem with flatulence. <laughs> just, just imagine if you like release this woman into like a burrito eating contest. <laughs> right? Uh, oh boy. Oh boy. Like, uh, Would that I mean, count as a COVID casualty if she killed them? Is that because they're forced to spend more time with each other than they were prepared for? <laughs> that might I, be it. Yeah, I would think so. That that's maybe the, she just got tired of just being around people. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. That's, it's a, that's a problem, man. <laughs> I've got one and honestly, man, I, there is a um have you ever watched those, um, you know, like council meetings that happen in cities? Have you ever actually watched one of those? Uh, I, oh, used, I, I used to work for a I know city where at you're one going. point. And yes, this is awesome. This yes, is this honestly the funniest thing I have seen. And at the point where I, I was almost laughing so hard because this person wasted so much of city time. But the article reads, Nebraska man asked city council to rename boneless chicken wings. Yeah. So, bear, yeah, bear with me on this one. And and there is a video out there, folks, that you can watch uh, that is a Lincoln City Council meeting uh, from August 31st, uh, 2020. So a Nebraska man's plea to the Lincoln City Council is going viral after he passionately laid out his case for the city's restaurants and stores to stop claiming chicken tenders or boneless chicken wings. Anderson Christensen, 27, whose father, Roy Christensen, is a Lincoln City councilman, appeared before the governing body at a public meeting and encouraged the city to be a social leader in this country. We've been casually ignoring a problem that has gotten so out of control that our children are throwing around names and words without even understanding the true meaning, treating things as though they're normal, he says. I go into nice family restaurants and see people throwing his na- this name around and pretending that everything is just fine. I'm talking about boneless chicken wings. Now, at this point, he had to wait for several minutes for the laughter in the court to subside, and to which he was <laughs> genuinely upset that people are laughing. He's like, I'm serious. <laughs> um, he, he basically, his case was that boneless chicken wings aren't actually composed of meat that comes from a wing of the bird. Uh, it's often made from chicken breast. So he he says, we'd be disgusted if we went to a butcher that mislabeled their cuts of meats, and then we go around pretending as though the breast of a chicken is its wing? This is ridiculous. He's like, it's not it's not actually making our children any more intelligent. Um, and all I could think of is that Simpson moment where the, 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 the church wife was like, who will think of the children? Um, but, but then he goes on to say, you know, we can call them Buffalo style chicken tenders. He says, we can call them wet tenders. We can call them saucy nugs or trash. 
I, I, the last one was like, where the fuck are you coming up with that one? <laughs> like, <laughs> is it just that you hate this name or that you came up with like some somewhat legitimate names for that? Like, what the hell would be a wet tender? Dude, his 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 argument was like there was so com- so much conviction in, in, in his argument. Yeah. And he had some good ones there, like because um, I watched it, too. Yeah. And like, what, what, what did he say? He's like, uh, he's like, I, I think it's safe to say that we're just going to like, why do we have to even put boneless in the name? Like, I don't yeah. go and ask for boneless chicken tacos. I don't ask <laughs> like, for bo- a boneless uh, auto mechanic point. or something <laughs> or an auto repair. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? So the funny thing is you look at this guy and and clearly he looks like a guy who's probably been living in his parents' basement for some time, but he's dressed up really nice and trying to look uh, quite legitimate. Um, the I think the funny thing at the end is that his father pulls down his COVID mask and says, um, yeah, that, that's my son, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and I don't know if it was a mix of pride or shame <laughs> when he says it. <laughs> you know, so I think it was both. There? It was that yeah. it was good, man. It, it's good. You gotta see the video. It's so funny. <laughs> man, I don't know. I can't remember how city council stuff works. It sounds like a filibuster. Like it sounds <laughs> like there was some other thing about to be tabled that was really important. And so they like Patton Oswald going off about, you know, comic book stuff or Star Trek stuff. They could just go, okay, we'll we'll get him to talk aimlessly about something that nobody could possibly care about for so long that that other thing doesn't get a chance to be tabled. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh boy. Did you guys ever or- watch Parks and Rec? No, I've never, seen, I've never yes. seen it. No. Yeah. yeah. Every time I hear the word filibuster, it reminds me of when Leslie filibustered her own meeting. Do you remember that episode? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, uh, Tony, if you haven't watched that show, I'm, watch I'm gonna it. Have, I'm going to have to really check it good. out. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Sean, let's talk about Widemouth Mason. Uh, but, but actually, if anything, maybe we should start off by, let's say, let's talk about um, the uh, the fact that you guys have uh, basically come up with a, the, a new vinyl issue of your albums, too. Yeah, and there's uh, some some council person will be angry that there's not actually stew in it or songs about, <laughs> about the, <stew>. the actual <laughs> concoction of stew. But uh but yeah, to celebrate the, the twenty year anniversary of of the record stew that we made that has uh, some songs that that are have become some of our best known, like Smile and Change and, and uh Ease Your Mind and a few others. Um we wanted to reissue it on vinyl which is kind of a, a full circle thing the the record was born from us and and uh gordy johnson from big sugar who mm-hmm. produced it sitting around listening to vinyl records um when we were kind of figuring out what the album was going to sound and feel like and we knew the songs that we were writing were going down a, a much more uh r&b and funk um, styled in our first couple of records, which were more sort of blues rock and jam bandy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we listened to a bunch of records by like the meters and the gap band and the Isley brothers and Sly and the family stone and really tried to make sure that we were paying homage and, and learning about the way that that instrumentation worked together on those kinds of records. If we were going to make our, TV wondrous record what is what's the function of all the different parts while those songs are are happening so yeah man revisiting it on on vinyl with a um 
a lathe cut seven inch of a, an unreleased track called um, Who You Get Your Love From that comes along with it has been has been some fun time travel. It's Amazing. been a good way to go back and re-experience it. Now, I have to say for all our listeners out there, if you have not listened to this album, it is absolutely fantastic. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, at least the original album was amazing. So I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to, to hear this. Uh, it was, uh, some, as you had mentioned, some amazing uh, songs that, uh, that had not only kind of, uh, kind of broke ground for you guys, but uh, went gold. So uh, they are super, super fun, beautiful songs. It actually really, before you came on, I, I uh, was kind of taking a trip down memory lane, as you said, and, and uh, listening to a lot of your older songs and, uh, and just remembering, it was like it, truly a, a, a blast from the past. I kind of remembered where I was when these songs came out and uh, how awesome uh, the, your albums really were. So it was really good. It gave me a whole new appreciation for a lot of your songs that I haven't heard in, in quite some time. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah. It's, it, when you go Back into the the prior uh, millennium, <laughs> the prior century, um, it's funny how different things were. In that, uh, you know, people might know us from, like you had alluded to, big shiny tunes or to, you know, videos on Much Music. We, yeah. we tended to all gather around the same just a couple fires before to warm ourselves. Where now everyone has, you know, their own portable history of everything in their pockets that they can curate however they choose to but yeah it's been a, a fun ride to to be part of the the industry as it changed from old school 20th century you know shipping records to physical places where people buy them to whatever it is today and then especially with the through the gauze of a, a worldwide pandemic that's put the brakes on everything. Mm -hmm. um, it's, we've There's a lot of road behind us, and we've seen a lot of different music businesses in our time in the music business, for sure. Definitely, definitely. Well, because you brought it up, uh, one of my questions specifically for you was, so when I, when I was a kid, I literally... My mom had to buy me and it's two copies of Big Shiny Tunes too because I, I just wore it out. Like I wore the first one out. It was a fantastic and, um, album. Yeah. So I have to ask, is it was was that just like me and my friends all listened to that to the point where yeah, it was wearing out. Was it like an honor at that time to 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 kind of be on that who's who list um on that on that kind of album? Or was it just like, yeah, why not? We'll just jump on it and see what happens, like it was, uh, it, we were happy to be involved. It, um, it was only the second one. So it, it wasn't like it was an institution at that point, you know, that we were like, oh, we've, we've been included on this thing that we, we grew up knowing about. It was, it was pretty new to us, but it, it seemed to, we were on Edge Fest, uh, the, mm -hmm. the traveling festival around that time. And it was a bunch of the same bands that we were playing with at Edge Fest. Okay. Um, that were oh, also cool. on Big Shiny Tunes too. So to us, it just kind of folded into being part of that same that same summer. You know that oh, we're around uh, whatever Big Wreck and Silverchair and Hole, and we're we're mm -hmm. touring with these bands all summer. So of course we would all be on a on a compilation record at the same time. We had no idea that I you know I'm I'm sitting a few fade away from a, a diamond record plaque for it, that it would go on to sell a million copies and it would be, uh, you know, part of the, the landscape of, of Canadian music history, that it would be this thing, particularly the, the second edition that seemed to 
really catch on and engage with people. But at the time, it was just kind of another, hey, they want to know if they can include a track on this compilation thing, and it's a bunch of bands that you're with. And we just said, yeah, as, as part of a bigger picture. But now looking back, it is... A lot of times when people go, why at Moss Mason? Oh, yeah, either it's either I saw you open for the Stones or I saw you on breakfast television, which apparently everybody everywhere watches, or <laughs> I had big shiny tunes and you were on it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you did because, to be honest, like that's where I first like heard you guys on that, and then that kind of led me into your other stuff. So I think it's a good thing that you did it. Not 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 necessarily your defining moment because your other stuff's amazing, but I uh, definitely definitely happy that you guys decided to do that because that's how I got got on you guys. And so. it works. I grew yeah. up, um, you know, Columbia Record Club. Ah, yes. Uh, a lot of those those compilation records. I think they call it like gold and platinum, and you wouldn't really know what was on it. Even it would just be like, oh, I'm sure there's a bunch of songs on there, and it was. It was like a, a early edition of a, a mixtape or something. I like those. Yep. That's what a festival is, you know, it's a, mm -hmm. a mix of different artists all all together. And, and yeah, definitely people who came for one thing might leave with an appreciation of another thing. So that's mm -hmm. cool with me. For sure. Now, I guess, uh, you know, just uh, reflecting on, on Matt's question, I mean, it's hard to, to say, obviously, when that happened, because essentially you're like a pioneer of of the big shiny tune series like you said uh there was only one album before and if anything I, I believe number two ended up selling a lot more copies than the first one did and um you know in, and i don't even remember what number they went to the last time i had checked but uh i know the numbers were getting up into the double digits and uh really it was because of the first two albums obviously grabbing people so well that that they continued on so when you know when you go back and you look at it at the time you're like yeah okay throw us on an album uh that's cool great a uh, good song to put on there but really you were kind of building the the base of a pyramid of, of a, a whole series of albums that would come out eventually yeah and and kudos to uh to you know i think our label warner put that version of it together mm -hmm. and i know there was a, a the much thing obviously there was it's a it's a kind of a common thing for people in the business to go oh the music business and obviously with the spotify's of the world and and people making all the money off the back of the the work that creative people are doing and then just keeping the money and making it unfair that part of it sucks but i've, I've come to really appreciate the the people who just make things happen in the industry. There had to be a person who went, hey, it would be a good idea to do this compilation. And it's it's like a film producer pulling together all these different disparate players with different agendas and making them agree to be a part of a project and be on a thing. Is, I've, I've come to really respect that that game and that energy that someone had an idea and they, and they realized it and made it a thing. And as a result, they're a bunch of people who got to hear some music that they may not have. You know, it's, it's funny uh, that you, you mentioned uh, the music industry and, and uh, finances, because you never really thought too much about it because, you know, with uh, the, the new iTunes and, and the, the Spotify's and the play stores with memberships, you know, you, uh, the songs may, people might go and pick up a single or something for like a dollar or $2. And it doesn't seem like much in the grand scheme of things. But I remember going to like, 
you know, record stores, which I think they still called it at the time, even though CDs were coming in and, you know, dropping $35 on a single CD. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's true. It was like the mixtape. Like you go because you're like, I like this artist. I like this artist. I haven't heard anybody else. And then when you realize that that choice was golden, like everybody on that album was amazing. And then all of a sudden your, your circle of musicians and, and the, the, uh, songs and artists that you like all of a sudden just went exponentially larger because you, you were going for two or three and you came out with like 15 artists that were just absolutely perfect. So, oh, um, things, you know, things that you can't do on iTunes. That is, and there, there was something about, you know, if you throw a free concert and give people tickets, a, a pretty small percentage of them actually come, where even if the tickets are five bucks, mm-hmm. when the day comes and it's like, oh, I have that concert. Oh, I was going to watch that episode of this on Netflix. Oh, but I did pay five bucks for it. I'm going to go. It has value and I'm going to go see it. I think yep. is a is an interesting psychological thing where I used to when I only had when I was a kid and I had like five tapes or three CDs I knew every sonic millimeter of those things and each one of them would be my companion for an entire summer and an, or an entire winter and I just pour through the liner notes and knew everything about them the scarcity made them precious where then I it, exactly like you said, went through that era of the thing I invested the most money in, maybe even more than musical gear like guitars, was was records, because that would be the only way you could hear stuff. And we'd do tours with other bands and go, okay, what do you guys have in your in your VHS tapes before <laughs> YouTube? You know, oh, we toured with Kenny Wayne Shepard, and he has Hendrix live at, at the Albert Hall and we're going to trade him Freddie King in Dallas for a week so we can watch each other. And now it's like I could recall any of those things in a second on my phone. Yep. Um, but it was it was scarce and precious. And you'd you'd have to know who had bootlegs or if we were on tour. Oh, this place has a whole bunch of, you know, board tapes of people who played at places. And you can actually hear the live show. <laughs> all that stuff is so accessible now. You're like the musicians of, of like children changing trading uh, uh you know uh, sports cards and stuff when you're kids right you're like you've got this one. Oh my <laughs> yeah. god i've got this one <laughs> need them got them need them need them got them <laughs> yeah that's exactly it that's absolutely hilarious like who would have who would have thought right i mean you're thinking you're out there and you're you're rocking stages and you're touring with amazing people and and yet behind the scenes you're like have you guys seen these guys well i got these well i've got them on tape who do you have <laughs> uh, it was but actually you know you you could search for years and never find the 19th minute of Django Reinhardt recorded footage of him playing guitar. And now, yeah, now you can find it. And I, I yearn a bit for the search, you know, the, the having to wait for something made the getting it all the sweeter. And, and now people, you know, often will listen to the first few seconds of a song. And then it's like that Seinfeld quote of, People don't care what's on TV. They care what else is on TV. And they channel surf <laughs> looking for something else new to amuse them. And and in a way, the what's fun about reissuing the Stu record is that you put the record on and it just becomes part of your environment. It plays in a linear fashion from one song to the next in order. And, and there's no jumping around. And it just kind of inhabits your space with you. Yes. I think this is why a lot of people have ADHD nowadays is they just can't sit and focus because of all the technology. I mean, we had to sit through things. We listened to 
one artist sing an entire like 12 tracks of something when you put a CD in, uh, it wasn't just jumping all over the place. And, and maybe when when you think about it, maybe when those uh, mixtapes came out, that was like the first start of it. And then it just progressively got worse and worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yes. Uh, all right, Maddie, you well, had another question. Actually, yeah, I was yep. going to ask a question there because um, it is kind of speaking of kind of trading all the old tapes of, of artists and whatnot. Um, because you guys are such a melting pot of genres, um, I have to ask, and you probably do get this question a lot, but like, who were your primary influences, um, when you guys were starting out as far as, you know, what you wanted to sound like? Oh, good question. Um, for me, the, the beginning of when doves cry and the end of let's go crazy by Prince, when I heard those in 1984, um, I was a 10 year old who went, okay, I need to get a guitar to make the sound that he's making. Um, that was awesome. the, the, this is something I need to do. And I just, I just lived purple rain for a couple of years. And then, um, <laughs> that's really cool. Then somebody made me a tape that had, um, Jimi Hendrix live at the BBC on one side. Someone made me a mixtape that had Hendrix live at the BBC on one side and John Lee Hooker on the other side. And those, you know, I was living through the era of, I loved, you know, Prince and Michael Jackson and the police. And, but then I heard Hendrix and, and, and John Lee, and it just terrified me at first. It was like, this is raggedy sound and raw music. And then it, it just got its hooks in me. And I, an unsung hero. Um, well, obviously everyone knows who he is, but a, a beautiful thing that Stevie Gray Vaughan did um, when mm-hmm. he became popular was to direct everybody to his influences. He'd always go, you know, if you, if you like me, you got to check out the BB King live at the Regal record. You have to check out Freddie King and Albert King. And, and you know, he pointed people in the direction of where to find inspiration that, that really, got him going so yeah for me it was prince and hendrix and srv and then when i met uh my drummer safwan who's been the mason's drummer for you know since the first minute mm-hmm. he was turning me on to not only um pakistani like kowali music where singers like nusrat fateh ali khan and kowali singers who are just the most technically amazing passionate incredible singers and at the same time he was really into reggae he was really into hip-hop so on all those drives between cities that we would do for hours and hours um we'd be playing each other that earl our original bassist was really into stacks and motown and james jamerson and and so we'd all it was it would be a melting pot of exposing each other to all these different things and the the record's really not having any imposed boundaries on them. We always kind of figured if we do any kind of song and it's me singing and it's us playing, we the us-ness is inescapable. We won't be able to not sound like us. So we might as well just try everything, try all kinds of arrangements, try every kind of song we think would be fun to play live in front of people and, and make them fit on a record together. Wow. Very that, cool. That's awesome, that's awesome that's man. Awesome. It's, you know, and not a lot of artists can say that they've, they've been able to display that versatility. You know what I mean? So that's, that's really cool. Really cool. Definitely. 
Now, yeah, I think there's two the two schools, right? Either hone a thing so that it, you know the minute you say ACDC, you know what that sounds and feels like and what inhabits that universe, and and or you know CCR, they they have mm-hmm. a vibe that's almost like a a spice. Where as soon yeah. as you taste that spice, you know that's them. And then there are the shapeshifters and the the evolvers who who are continually chasing something and that was another bit of Prince influence is every record he'd even look different he'd have a different hairstyle yeah. and different clothes and play a different guitar and really made them unique projects that that where he was stretching himself to do a bunch of different things so yeah, yeah. we've always been inspired by that and wanted to see how many different directions we can take it that's that's really awesome. Now, I uh, just because you also brought this up, and it actually was one of my questions, because uh, of obviously some some influences there. You had you guys had created a um, an album that was exclusively for China, and on that album you did a <laughs> rendition of Billie Jean. Yes. Now I got to tell you, this I, I listened to this. This was fantastic. You guys did an amazing. Uh, you took your own twist on such a great song and. Are you guys, do you guys ever have any plan on, on bringing that for like Canadian American markets to, to listen to? Because I, I really think with a lot of people that are doing covers, uh, especially when you have other bands doing covers, uh, it, it's a kind of a hot item and, and you guys, uh, you, you guys sounded great. Oh, thank you. Yes, yeah, we, so our manager at the time got, uh, people from China got in touch with him and went, hey, we have listen, we have all these symphony orchestras and we need to bring an artist over to play original material with them. Do you have anybody? And he he was working with this young sort of composer artist, like a John Teshi new agey composer. Mm-hmm. And he brought him over and he played with, you know, the, the symphony orchestras of Beijing and Wuhan and Xi Zhejiang. And the tour was a big success. And so they said, Hey, what else do you have, manager guy? And he said, well, I have this blues rock band, but I don't, I mean, I don't know what of that would be allowed to be released in China. They're, they're signed to Warner and the, the people in China said, well, there is a Warner China, but bootlegging is rampant. As soon as anything's put out here, there's a, you know, a, a black market version of it with 30 extra songs and a, <laughs> and a, a laser disc of, of live performance and, but they went, well, let's just go through the band's catalog and see which of the songs clear the censor. Yep. And we'll put this record out and bring the band over to tour. Mm-hmm. And we'll just tell everybody in China that they're the biggest band in North America. And the posters were hilarious. It was a photo of us and it would, it, it would say like, almost as if it was one word, Wide Mouth Mason opened for Rolling Stones and ACDC performing here on this day. So, <laughs> We showed up in the in the airport and it was like Beatlemania. It was full of thousands of kids who'd never heard of us before, but they were assured that we were a massive North American band coming to play there. And we traveled around for a couple of weeks performing in the in these big, beautiful symphonic theaters, um and and baffling the audience with playing blues rock music and you could watch it spread like a wave or they'd start to stand up and start to move and security would look at them and they'd look at security like is this okay <laughs> yeah i think it's okay and it was, it was some of the most surreal 
uh, touring we've ever done. But I think the reason we couldn't release Billie Jean in North America, and obviously MJ's legacy is is pretty controversial and mm-hmm. and, and and concerning, um, but there was one part in the song where I say "Mama," and Michael said "Mother" on the recording, and the people guarding his his estate were such that look, he can't take any liberties with the lyrics on any of Michael's mm. songs. Okay. So uh. since you changed the lyrics, you cannot release the song commercially in North America. And we were like, well, change Mama and Mother. It's, you know, if if Mother was written on a check, you could cash it in Mama's bank account. Like they would know yep. that that's the same thing. Yep. But uh, from what I recall, that was the, the sticking point was that and you change the words, and we don't know if it's a parody. We don't know what you're trying to do, so you can't release it in North America. What if you guys changed it back to Mother? <laughs> <laughs> Screw you, man. We're not messing with our Why lyrics. Why did I think of that? <laughs> right. So, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a good gem. I remember the, uh, the, the now I can hear it in my head, and that was a pretty good take yeah. on that. Yeah. On our most recent record, right before um, COVID and and even before the idea of re-releasing Stu, um, we put out a new record called I Want to Go With You in uh, fall of last year that we were, of course, excited to go on the road for, um, and then that got squashed by COVID. But mm-hmm. on it, we do a cover of of uh, David Bowie's, um, uh, oh, Tom, the we did the song. I should remember it. Uh, we <laughs> did a, uh, and and we totally took liberties with it. And it's it's one of those things where you wouldn't know until the chorus that it's Bowie's "Modern Love" because the verses, the lyrics, people don't really know. And we did it in a totally different style. Mm-hmm. So our approach to covers has always been either do it like the the MJ one, which we did pretty straight, except that it's an electric guitar playing the hook instead of the keyboard, or the the Bowie one like we did with Modern Love, where it's it's unrecognizable until you get to the chorus what song it actually is. Yeah, yeah. It You know, uh, I I think personally that you guys did it justice, and and I know with uh, Michael's stuff, it of course is uh, it can be very uh, sticky situation uh, with with the families and the rights holders and stuff like that. Uh, so it's unfortunate that obviously that can't make it. So uh, as you said earlier, uh, of course that uh, you know people can at least go out and and listen to that uh, across the internet. There's there's copies out there. I was able to find it. That means everybody else could probably find it. And uh, it, yeah. it, it is a fantastic. You guys literally have to listen. What kind to this. of so dark cool. web were you on earlier, Tony? <laughs> <laughs> what else did you find? How dark do I have to go to find this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I tell people all the time, you know, if, if China wants to break into my computer, that's cool. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> yeah. And trust me, there <laughs> are no schematics. They already have. Yeah, there are no schematics <laughs> for anything that is even of use to them. They'll, they would be bored as shit looking through my computer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like those people who tape the webcam. If you if you just want to see a guy staring at his computer in consternation, right. be my guest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I feel I'd exactly. feel bad for anybody who tried to like hack into my webcam. <laughs> Nobody wants to see this walking around after a shower. <laughs> Crazy. Well, Sean, are you? Uh, I think we, it's time we yeah. get into the next part of our show, which is uh, my rapid fire questions. Did you? You are you ready for that? As ready as I can be. Brace fire yourself. Away. All right. 
All right, let's do it. We're going to do, uh, we'll do 20 quick questions. If, uh, if you don't know the answer or don't want to answer, just say pass. And uh, it's all right if you, you kind of, if they're a little longer than rapid, um, they, they usually tend to be on some of them. So let's do all it. All right. Question number one. What made-up word would you register into the English language? Ooh, a made-up word. Uh, when I'm stretching, I, I, I'm not quite at the point where I just grunt. I tend to say, gazeer. So I would put <laughs> gazeer into the colloquial lexicon as a, I've been sitting too long and I need to stand up and stretch. Gazeer. I love that. And, and the that's fact amazing. that you had the definition already for us, that's amazing. I'm going to make that sound when I'm making love to my wife later. Gazeer. Gazeer. Beer. Amazing. Way to make that it. dirty, Matt. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, question two. What is the scariest dream that you can remember? Dreams are, are weird. I The thing that stuck with me that I remember is that I was I was standing in water and my I had a I guess an inflatable tent that was floating away from me and I awoke in such a panic and horror that it was as if I was being you know chased by the devil but it dreams are so symbolic and things could I don't know if it was you know my life floating away or whatever it's the kind of thing that when you explain in daylight means nothing at all but in the dream watching everything float away in that tent as i was stuck in the water was terrifying i don't maybe some armchair freudian is going to tell me that i i'm you know deathly afraid of something natural because of that but that was the scariest dream i can remember is everything floating away as long as you didn't oh, wake man. up in a pile of your own pee, that's like, you know, like, <laughs> 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 oh man, again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't understand um, why I keep having this dream. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what what superpower uh, would you take if you could pick any? Flight, always yep. flight, every time flight. All right, nice, nice. Um, what was your earliest childhood memory? I remember being at my grandmother's, um, and my parents had got me. Oh no, actually, this is my very first memory. Uh, my my dad's parents uh, were grew up in rural Saskatchewan, raised their families there. Um, my grandmother was Métis, and my my grandfather um, worked the ferry across the Saskatchewan River, and they lived in this old farmhouse that was. For a kid, it was like a playground. They had no running water. They had a well that they would draw water from in the kitchen and a, a basement that was just a dirt cellar, just like a, a farmhouse, which to me was fascinating. And I remember being under the table while the grown-ups were having a party and having a bottle of five-star liquor that you could peel the the star off of and I had it I'd peeled the star off and put it on my shirt like I was a sheriff and I was sitting under the table and this is the 70s so that I was just playing with one of the bottles of liquor <laughs> and, and sloshing it back and forth with the lid on I wasn't drinking any um and the sound that the the liquor made in this really thick old bottle going blink 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 was fascinating to me. I remember 
the noise of it just being spellbinding. Like I was sitting there playing with this bottle of alcohol with a plastic faux sheriff star on my chest. That's amazing. That's and, a good one. And parents are worried nowadays about their kids. <laughs> Clearly, <Yeah. laughs> you know what? Like, we grew up okay. Maybe you should be letting yeah. your kids play a little more. <laughs> oh, yeah. man, I, a bunch of liquor bottles. And... drove there with me standing in the back window of the car, you know, in yep. the 70s. Yep, yep. Yeah, I never had to put a seatbelt on. <laughs> Dad hits the brakes, yeah. you fly onto the floor. It was no big deal. <laughs> yeah, Daddy will catch you. Yep. Don't worry. All right, next question. What activity makes you the happiest? Oh, man. My eight-year-old daughter is now really into singing and uh, and improvising and playing. And so whenever she and I are spontaneously writing a song or if, if, uh, if she asks me to play guitar so she can sing a song or sing in one of our songs, those are the moments of the purest joy in my life. So making music with my eight-year-old daughter. That's awesome. Yep, that's a good one. Um, All right, next question. What foreign language would you choose to learn if you could? Mm. Well, it feels like uh, learning Mandarin would probably be a a useful thing heading into the the coming years. And and certainly with... uh, with just the complexity of it, if you could just sort of wink and know a language, I think that that would be a, a really useful one to have at your disposal. That's a great choice. Yeah, that's that's probably mine too, yep. I think. Um, if you could relive a decade, which one would you choose? Hmm. I'm torn because I, I wish that I could, if I could send a message back to me in the 90s, it would have been buy disposable cameras or always have a camera with film around because a bunch of stuff is going to happen and you think you're going to remember it and be able to relive it and but but maybe you won't and you'll love to look at what few photos there are of this time now so if i could relive the 90s it would be partly just so i could archive more of it and take more photos for the the instagram era um and when we revisit, you know, here's we're releasing stew. I'd love to have here's a bunch of photos of us in the studio making it. Here's us yeah, yeah. with the stones right after. Here's us doing this and here's photos of us with them and and I, I you know, it was one of those things that it there was always maybe someone around taking a photo or two, but it wasn't as prevalent as it is now to go, hey, everyone, let's mark this moment with this thing in my phone that can save it forever. Especially after the fifth time you toured with the Stones, if you didn't have a camera and take pictures of that, <laughs> you're like, what was I thinking? <laughs> All five times, damn it. Right? I didn't learn That's a thing. Right. <laughs> well, and then it was like, well, where are we going to put this? You know, yep. in a in a book somewhere versus, oh, we could we could share this with people. So either that or it'd be, it'd be kind of trippy to go back to the first bunch of years of your life and relive those. I yeah. think I'd, I'd opt for that if I had to choose. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. What, uh, oh, do you have a go-to joke? <laughs> if we're, if we're, uh, exhausted and, um, doing a photo shoot and it's into the 11th hour and we're, we're just trying to think of ways to not go crazy or if we're driving for an airport, I don't even know if there's a beginning of the joke. 
I just know that it will make Saf and I laugh like crazy if we're really tired. If one of us says, ping pong balls, I thought you said King Kong balls. (laughs) (laughs) And just imagine the the preamble that leads up to that, which there probably is an official beginning to that joke. But to me, just the end of it is funny. Anything that would lead to someone saying that is funny to me. That's awesome. <laughs> Amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> How would you spend a hundred million? Oh, uh, well, I, I would certainly give a lot of it away because nobody needs a hundred million dollars. Um, yeah. So it would be a pretty full-time occupation, I think, to to select the the places uh, to be, uh, you know, to donate to. Mm-hmm. And then with a, with a bit of it that I would keep, I'd love to, I love traveling. And uh, it seems like the only way you could really travel now is uh, it would be pretty expensive to, I don't know, try private jets or something like that. Yes. And, and um, but yeah, there would be a lot of travel and a, and a, and a very nice studio on my property to come home to if I was to win millions. Very cool. Oh, yeah. What, uh, what's your biggest pet peeve? What gets on your nerves? Ooh, good question. I, I know bands have broken up for lesser things than uh, a one-time band member refusing to eat with their mouth closed, but <laughs> it's something that has broken up bands and it almost broke up ours at certain points. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's fair. legit. That's, That's legit. Yeah. Very cool. What uh, What was the last thing that you did just for yourself? Hmm. Interesting question. Uh, the last thing I did just for myself was, um, God. Uh, I I will sit down and someone asked me what my guilty pleasure was uh in another interview and i think this this falls into the same thing which for for me is i i tend to have um some guitar tones that really speak to me and when i play through them they feel like i'm speaking with my voice so for guitar nerds it'd be like you know tube fender amps uh with a fuzz pedal and not a bunch of effects and that's that sounds like me if we fly into a date and i and i see that there are two fender super reverbs there i know that i'm gonna sound like me no matter what um and the thing that i'll do for myself is after i put my wife and my daughter to sleep i have software on my phone that emulates a bunch of different amps and pedals and I'll I'll plug in a lap steeler or a guitar to it and play for an hour or so using a bunch of tones that I never have used on records with effects that I haven't delved into. And um, and the thing I'll do for myself is when the day's over, when all my responsibilities and work are done, I'll just improvise for an hour, maybe sipping some scotch or something. And just go. And and oftentimes song ideas come from these sessions, but often it's it's not even about that. It's like meditation or yoga, and I'm, I'm not conscious of what I'm playing. Maybe I'm playing along with a record, or maybe I'm just making stuff up, and I'll just go and almost like 
like the Hulk after I'll come to and go, Oh, what happened to the last hour? Where was I? What was I doing? <laughs> yeah. I was playing guitar and, and it just feel relieved. Like someone after a hot yoga session, just being content and, and, and happy. Very cool. Sweet. Very cool. What, um, what's the best thing you've ever eaten? Oh, one of my favorite things about touring is, uh, is trying all the different food and our tour of China was, was certainly, there were some spectacular things and some things that were terrifying to, to what I've known for food leading up to this point. Um, but the, if I think of my favorite thing ever, it could be as simple as, you know, when a tomato is just perfect and it's right mm -hmm. out of the garden and you just put some salt on it and it doesn't need anything more than that. But on the other end of that would be there's a, a restaurant in Maui called Mama's Fish House that makes a, um, they stuff a fish with crab and some different things. And it's a mahi-mahi that the, the menu says, this was caught by Conrad over by that big rock over there about seven hours ago. And, and so That's you know awesome. exactly where the fish is from. It's super fresh. And whenever I eat it, it means I'm in Maui with my family. So that's uh, probably my favorite bite in the world is uh, is of that. That's very amazing. cool. So cool. That's a great answer. Yeah. Um, all right. And lastly. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. You skipped a very what? important question. What's that? Sean, do you believe in aliens? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. I do. I think Good. it's. I think it. Uh, both the uh, just the statistical impossibility that of all of these, all of these planets and solar systems and stuff that we are. You know, maybe they're not humanoid. Uh, maybe they don't look like us, and we've been expecting them to. And maybe the life that's out there is is you know bacterial or or some other version of life that doesn't look like us, and we want everything to look like us. But I also think that uh, it, it could be we're being visited from the future. We could be being visited. Maybe that guy in the jetpack was from from decades in the future, and it's a jetpack time travel machine, as uh, double duty. But yeah. yes, I think that the, the universe is much too large for us to be the only knuckleheads in it doing stupid <laughs> stuff. That is fair. Yep. Couldn't have said it better. Beautiful. <laughs> and now the last question. What is the favorite podcast you've been on in the last 12 hours? <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Freaking awesome one. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Excellent. Well, do you have any uh, any things that uh, links or social media is or anything you'd like to pitch right now? Sure. Yeah, we are, our site, widemouthnation.com, um, has updates on gigs when there are gigs. And when that is a thing again, um, we will have the information on it on there. Um, we're really active, and I in particular am on Instagram and Facebook and stuff on the, on the Wide Mouth accounts, posting guitar stuff all the time or songs or, or uh, I, I keep pretty busy putting a, a new thing on there every couple of days so people can catch up with us and and get news on what's what's new and what's reissued uh there 
Fantastic. Well, uh, we've definitely appreciated uh, all the time you've been able to set aside uh, for us and uh, being on the show. It's been lovely having you. Uh, it's been lovely listening to your, your music over all these years and uh, knowing that you guys continue to uh, keep producing uh, such wonderful tracks. It's, it's just it's just wonderful. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. It's, a, it's been a funny pleasure, and we sure do appreciate you spreading the word and, and making time for us. 100%. Uh, so for all our listeners that are on the road and listening now and uh, unable to, of course, uh, check out everything, uh, we will make sure that we put up uh, some links uh, that Sean's mentioned on our website under our guest section. Uh, of course, a lovely picture of uh, White Mouth Mason and, uh, and some links to their website as well. We'd love to try to circle around with you again, uh, maybe after after this whole COVID thing, uh, it's uh, you know drops and you guys hit the road, and uh, we'll we'll try to continue to follow you, find out where you guys are, and, and we'd love to to have you back. That's awesome. I'll I'll drop you guys a line when Kingston is back on the on the tour schedule when there's a tour schedule again. For sure, that'd be amazing. Sounds good. Yeah, man. Maybe we'll come see you in person. Yep, guaranteed. That'd be great. Awesome. Thank you very much, come Sean. Come backstage. We'll feed you. Hey, right. I love the way that sounds. <laughs> awesome. Thanks again, my man. Have yourself a wonderful evening. Thanks a lot, you guys. Take okay. care. Take Bye. care, Sean. Goodbye. So this is a good time for us to pitch our social media. You could get us on our website. Thefap.ca. On uh, Twitter. Is the Fap 4 You can get us on Instagram. Is the Fap Podcast. Don't forget our Facebook. The Freaking Awesome Podcast. And uh, you can always reach out via email. Thefappodcast at gmail.com. I'm on the air, we on the air, we got this pocket. Ah, uh, uh, not again. Wicked sweet. Eh. <laughs>